Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. Our team worked hard to put this sermon together with you in mind, and we hope it helps you take your next step with Jesus. Enjoy. to see you, those of you that I can see, and the rest of you, I'm glad you're seeing me. Um, <laughs> well, hopefully. Anyway, uh, especially those of you that are joining us online. You couldn't actually make it to one of our campuses, but you joined us anyway, and so uh, we're, we're thankful that you're part of our online community. Um, so open your Bibles. Uh, we're going to read together uh, John chapter 1, the first uh, five verses of uh, the Gospel um, of John. And while you're, you're going there, if you're new to studying Scripture, uh, you can go to the table of contents, or you can go over to where it says New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And this was written by uh, who is arguably Jesus' best friend when Jesus was on the planet, John. Stand with me, and let's read John chapter 1 together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And everyone said, amen. amen. All right, let's be seated. I'll remain standing. <laughs> Just to be clear. So we're celebrating Christmas all month at Cornerstone. We're finally catching up with Costco. They've been celebrating it for a couple of months already. <laughs> but here at Cornerstone, we want our weekend celebrations to provide you some great and very simple but profound perspective on Christmas that will make your holiday deeply meaningful and give you things to share with your neighbors and coworkers uh, as we ponder on the weekend what really happened that night in Bethlehem. Now we're going to center our thoughts all month on the first half of the first chapter of the Gospel of John. It'll take us all month to unpack 14 verses of scripture. That's old school cornerstone, verse by verse. And starting with verse 1, where John writes, In the beginning was the Word. The Word. The Word. Now, when you first read that, you think he might be talking about the Bible, because Christians call the Bible the Word of God. But he's not talking about the Bible. He's talking about Jesus. The Word is a name that John uses for Jesus. Uh, it's the Logos. And what John does here is genius, because logos was a big word uh, among first century mystics and philosophers who believed that there was this uh, life force out there 
this powerful, creating, sustaining thing, and they referred to it as Logos, and they would debate endlessly as to what Logos was. Most uh, didn't think of it as a personality, but more of kind of a Star Wars kind of force uh, that's out there in the universe. Well, John takes their word and defines it for them, telling them, now Logos is a person. And he says, in the very beginning was Logos. The Logos was with God. The Logos was God. Logos existed in the beginning with God. John is telling us that the Lord Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger, always existed. He is God. Now, I read John's gospel, and I have to wonder, when exactly did John figure out who his teacher Jesus really was? Uh, He didn't know who Jesus really was at first. None of them did. John was just a teenager when he met Jesus. And uh, kids did grow up faster back then. He was already in his adult career as a fisherman. He and his brother James worked uh, for his father Zebedee. Uh, They were partners with a guy named Simon. And uh, they were fishing on the Galilee when they met Jesus and left everything and began to follow after him. But honestly, they really would have thought he was just a really cool miracle-working, scripture-explaining, compassionate rabbi. But then three, three and a half years uh, fly by, and John finds himself at the foot of a cross where his rabbi has been executed on a Friday. But then on Sunday, Jesus reveals to all of them who he really is because he comes back from death. Sixty years later, The last apostle standing, John the apostle, puts pen to parchment and leaves us five New Testament books. In another one of his books, 1 John 1, he says about Jesus, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the logos of life. This one, who is life itself, was revealed to us, and we've seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. So I think John is the perfect guy during this holiday season as we celebrate Christ's birth by reminding us of who exactly was sleeping in that manger. A baby, yes, but a very unique newborn because baby Jesus' life did not begin when he was conceived in Nazareth or when he was born in Bethlehem. His conception was unlike any baby ever because he had no beginning. Everyone listening to my words today, you had a beginning. You were conceived and born, and before that, you didn't exist, whereas Christ has always existed. As the angels in heaven chant, he was, he is, and he always will be. Christ existed before Bethlehem with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in a holy trinity. And it's vitally important that Christians in this post-Christian culture we live in remind themselves and communicate to others about our Jesus, because as small as he was in that, 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 that manger, and adorable as I'm sure he was as a baby, and needy as well, he was also the only son of the only God. As the angel Gabriel said to Mary, you will conceive and bear the son of the most high God. So that's why in our Christmas carols we sing, 
joy to the world, not the Lord is born, but joy to the world, say it. That's right. As Paul writes in his letter, to, his letter to the believers at Colossae, Christ is the visible image of an invisible God. God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And that's our first takeaway today. This is what we take with us when we leave today, uh, that the birth of Christ we celebrate at Christmas is nothing less than God coming to earth. He was on a mission. He came for a reason, one that we'll be unpacking all month as we walk through this text. Are you excited about that? You seem like it. You say, Steve, you're just teaching us things we already know. Gang, I'm reminding you of the wonder of Christmas, the simplicity of God coming down. And this month, more than ever, more than any Christmas before, we're not going to talk as much about what happened, but why it happened. All right, let's look at verse, John, look at verse 3 of John chapter 1, where John builds on this thought, telling us exactly who baby Jesus is. Not only the Son of God, he's something more. What does John say? God created everything through the Son. Nothing was created except through him. Paul chimes in in Colossians. He made the things we can see. He made the things we cannot see. So Jesus is not only the only Son of the only God. He is the creator of all things. Christ created the earth that he came to. He spoke all the raw materials into existence, and then he assembled them. He created all the elements and then waited for us to discover them and put them on a periodic table. But he had already organized them throughout the universe in microscopic and macroscopic fashion. Then, John says, Christ gave life to everything that was created. The word John uses here is the Greek word zoe, life force. Jesus gave life to everything that lives. Trees and toads and trout and puppies and pumpkins and people. Easy for you to say. Everything that lives, lives because Christ gives it life. And it's for his own pleasure, but it's for our pleasure as well. You can enjoy creation just like God enjoys creation. And my advice to you is simple. You need to get out more. Take a day off this winter. Head for the, the, the rugged northern California coast, not to lay on the beach in the sun because it might be storming when you go. No, as a matter of fact, I hope it's storming when you go because you can find one of those restaurants with some windows and some good clam chowder and you can sit there and look out the window at the waves crashing in and you can tell God how amazing his creation is. Or if you want, you could go to the snow. <clears throat> That's what I'm going to be doing. It would do you good to to go to the snow and just see the the trees just completely covered and, 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 and look up into the night sky and say, whoa, you know, it's dark, but then that makes the stars shine brighter. You'll enjoy creation more if you if you speak to God, the creator, while you're enjoying it and just tell him how much you love what he did. You can even quote scripture to him like David did in Psalms chapter 19. The heavens, David said, declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. His creativity is endless, unfathomable, and ongoing. 
It testifies to his very existence that someone designed all this. Someone with a keen interest in beauty and form and fashion and function. Everything around us testifies that someone intelligent and creative, someone artistic with an engineering mindset, put this all together. And at Christmas, we celebrate that someone who came to the earth he created, being born into that very world. So I love how John in his gospel doesn't open in Nazareth or Bethlehem like the other gospel writers do. John takes us all the way back to the creation of the world, to Genesis. And his book opens just like Genesis 1 opens. Remember we just read John 1? And what did that say? It sounds just like Genesis. In the beginning, God created. John ties the coming of Christ at Christmas with the creation. And just like God originally brought order to chaos at creation, Christ comes to earth in order to bring order to our chaos. Let's think about the Genesis story for a moment. God created heaven and earth. Everything we see, he plants a beautiful garden on earth, calls it Eden, and then he puts uh, Adam and Eve in that garden. Everything's perfect until they sin. And when they sin, their peaceful lives became chaotic. Life got much harder for them at that point. Soon one of their sons even murdered his brother. Their own sin was what reintroduced chaos back into creation. And we've been feeling the effects of it ever since. Think about the world we live in, where sin feeds pain. And often it's not our sin that created our pain. It's someone else's sin. And yet we suffer. And that's what makes the Christmas story so powerful. Because when Christ was born in Bethlehem, God was working a plan to remedy that and to calm the chaos on planet Earth. And that's our second takeaway today. Hopefully you remember the first one because we're already on to number two. Jesus is the son of God who came to earth for a reason. And the creator God entering his own creation came for a reason, for a purpose, on a mission. He came to redeem it. He came to repair it. He came to redeem me and you and to give us eternal life. Merry Christmas. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, he is life itself. He is the one who is eternal life. And I love this passage. Look at that. It doesn't say he brings life. It doesn't say he, he brings it. It says he is it. That's, what Christ, that's why Christ came, to be who he is. Now, all month long, people are going to be walking through our building who desperately need to hear this, that that baby in the manger is the powerful creator God that came down as a savior, a redeemer, a restorer, bringing peace to every troubled heart. That's why those angels, they said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And we sing, we sing, we, we, we sing, uh, uh, hearts of herald angels sing, uh, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. 
You know, these Christmas carols are so familiar to me. I think I sometimes sing them and don't think about the power of these words. And the Christmas story is also so familiar. Sometimes it loses his, its impact on those of us that have been uh, reading it every Christmas for our whole lives. But you know, many of my neighbors don't know this story in all of its beauty. Christmas to them has little more than, has little to do with God coming to earth to restore a broken relationship. It's about their relatives coming over and them trying to get along and not talk about politics. Christmas to them is about food and celebration and gifts. And, and that, that's, there's nothing wrong with all that stuff. But it's just not enough because Chris, Christmas is about God coming to restore a relationship between us and the Heavenly Father. Jesus' mission was to to reconcile us to God and to give us eternal life with him. Like Paul says, through Christ, God reconciled everything to himself. And if we really lean into this at Christmas time, then after Christmas, when we take down all the decorations, our houses won't feel so empty and barren, and January won't feel so, I don't know, dark and back to the old grind. I mean, if we can really celebrate joy to the world the Lord has come, let every heart prepare him room, we will still have room for him in January. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate it when the Christmas decorations come down. Now, it's like pulling teeth to get me to help decorate the house. Uh, This year, I put one string of lights outside just so that my neighbors wouldn't hate me. You know, I live in a neighborhood where they they decorate. And uh, so, yeah, and they know I'm the pastor of Cornerstone. So they're like, how come he's the only guy that doesn't decorate? You know, what's, why is he so, so I put one string of lights up to say, hey, no, I decorate it. And, but honestly, I hate it when they come down, the decorations come down as well, because our house feels so, I don't know, just, it's like the party's over, people. Uh, uh, all the familiar movies, all the great food, all the family time, staying up late because you don't have to go to work. But then it's January 2nd and, you know, life is normal and take down the tree. It's dead anyway. Put it out on the curb. Uh, Brenda's all, that's an artificial tree. You just put it on the curb. Oh. But listen, gang, if we celebrate the birth of Christ correctly for all that it means in December, we can coast right into January with with peaceful hearts, a renewed sense of purpose for the new year. Jesus' birth celebrated correctly gives the new year meaning and hope. Because God came, that means God is with us. Jesus' name, uh, he has a name, God with us. Do you know that name? Emmanuel. God is with us. Like the old carol says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. If we allow Jesus to actually be God with us, to be Emmanuel in December, we'll find that he's still with us in January. Cornerstone, remind yourself, God is with us. Turn to your neighbor and tell him that right now. Now, I enjoy watching rugby. I've never played a game of rugby in my life, and I'm not starting now. But I enjoy watching it. And one of the cool things about rugby is uh, it's different than football. Now, I, I like football, and I appreciated uh, Chris praying for the 49ers, uh, and I'm, we're also praying for the Raiders around here, I'm just saying. But uh, 
rugby's cool in that the guy holding the ball has to run out in front. There's no such thing as blocking in rugby. And so the guy with the ball, he's out in front, and he's fair game. And, but the, but, but the, beauty, thing, beauty, the beauty thing beauty thing about rugby is your, your teammates will come up beside you and run with you, and they literally will call out, with you, with you. And I just love that. It's like, I'm with you. And it's like, we're, we're doing this. And uh, they're right there if you need to pass the ball back to them, with you. And that's, that's uh, an image of Jesus. We're running, and we feel like we're out there in front, and we're taking the hits, and then Jesus is right there going, with you, with you, with you. If you ever need to just let me take a few of the hits, just pass me the ball, and, and I'm with you. And that's what, that's what Emmanuel means. And if God is with me, say it, who can be against me? Oh, I love that. We take time to ponder this, and we invite Jesus into every part of our Christmas. We live out what the prophet Isaiah was talking about, When he wrote in Isaiah 9, check this out about darkness and light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Do you ever wonder why we put up lights at Christmas? It's not just the peer pressure from our neighbors. Do you ever wonder why we put lights on a tree or we light a lot of candles at Christmas time? It's because Jesus is light. And this is something we can explain to our kids. We can drive them around town. We can take them to Deacon Dave's in Livermore. Uh, we can get, and we can, we can say, yeah, this is, this is fun. But it's, it's here to remind us of Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. Christmas is all about darkness and light. John 1, 4, the word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness And the darkness can never extinguish it. Let's memorize that. The light shines in the darkness. And when you say never, like Winston Churchill. All right, one more time. The light. Now, some of you are just reading. Okay, come on. You need to know this by now. It's there if you need it, but don't just read it. I'm trying to get you to memorize it because this is so important to remember. Here we go. Okay, you got it. I love it. Wow. Later, John will tell us in another one of his New Testament books, John, 1 John 1, 5, This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. There is no darkness in God. And that's why light's so important, because darkness is very real. We light up our houses to remind ourselves that the darkness is real, and our home needs to be a place of light in the neighborhood because Jesus brings light to the darkest, gloomiest, and coldest season of the year. You know, that's why Christmas originally started being celebrated. It was in the fourth century. Before the fourth century, no one celebrated Christmas. They celebrated Easter, but Christmas wasn't a thing. But the church leaders in the fourth century decided to celebrate the birth of Christ, and they decided to do it in late December. It didn't matter to them that Jesus was probably born in October 
Uh, they were just using the birth of Christ, the light of the world, to replace a pagan holiday. There's a pagan holiday known as Saturnalia, celebrated in late December during the darkest time of year, the winter solstice. Now, before Christianity invaded the Roman Empire, winter was a time when the gods who protected you were all asleep. But the gods which might hurt you were still awake in the darkness. So your kids, they, they might catch pneumonia and die. Winter was scary, especially if you were superstitious. But the pagan holiday with the light of the bonfires and the Yule logs and all that, it would uh, cast out the fear because the light of, would push the darkness back into the woods. And uh, wintertime was when the dark nights were the longest. Now, John wrote in the first century, 250 years before Christmas was even a thing. But you know what was a thing? Darkness. And John's take on the birth of Christ was that God had come to earth to push back the darkness. Jesus had come to earth because of a cosmic conflict between good and evil, light and darkness. And John assures us what we memorized just now, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And sometimes in order to fully celebrate Jesus bringing light into our darkness, we have to stare into the darkness you know, one of the most powerful things that, that, that any of the apostles ever said of Jesus was when they went to a very dark place. They went to Bonias, also known as Caesarea Philippi, which was a, a place where a lot of, of, of really evil Roman and Greek gods were worshipped in really disgusting ways. And there was a cave there called the Gates of Hell. And it was thought that that, that, that cave led all the way down uh, into the pits of hell. It didn't really but there were, you know, there were sacrifices thrown in there and all that. And Jesus took his disciples there. And then he just asked a question. Who do people say that I am? And it was, remember, Simon Peter. And he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus complimented him and was so impressed that he said that. And then Jesus said, let me tell you, I'm going to build a, a church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against that. And that's what Christmas is, where the darkness cannot prevail against uh, the light. But sometimes we have to acknowledge the darkness. We have to, and I think this is where Christians can speak into the American culture and our frantic celebration at Christmas time. This breath, breathless pace, we, 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 and, and we're all moving towards like holiday cheer and everybody be happy, and, and it's all fueled by consumption. But a frantic month-long celebration can just leave a person feeling exhausted and empty, especially if they entered the holiday exhausted and empty. And many of us suffer from holiday blues. Uh, there's, there's more depression around Christmas than any other season. I think our depression is magnified by everyone else's incessant demand that we cheer up. But to only focus on Christmas cheer is to not understand the story. You first take time to acknowledge the sorrow and the darkness. And then you say, yes, but it's so good that Jesus brings light. Maybe even acknowledging the darkness that comes at us could take away some of its power over us. At the very least, staring into the darkness makes Christ bringing light all the better. If we just take Christmas slower and we go to the darkness and go to the light, if we don't just rush to the manger, then we won't trivialize the light when it comes to earth when Christ is finally born. And make no mistake, Christ is light and darkness will not survive the introduction of light. And that really is something to celebrate as we think about Bay Area darkness. 
and the light we can bring to it all. Whether we're talking about dark behaviors or deeply dark moods and attitudes, many of our neighbors could use some light. And you know what? Some of us could use it as well. So it's vitally important this month that we have a truly Christian celebration. This is the month where Christians celebrate that God solved a tremendous problem on planet Earth. And this is the month when we communicate this to our friends. I was so impressed Friday night with our women who came and gathered. Eight, nine hundred women gathered. And you know, a lot of those women brought a friend. And a lot of those friends had never met the Lord Jesus. And we heard lots of conversation afterwards about how, how much they enjoyed being here. And that they would love to come back and, and, and celebrate Jesus with us. It was like the night was so hopeful and powerful. And the gospel was preached. And it was beautiful and wonderful. And didn't hurt that there was some pretty good desserts out there. <laughs> not that I had any because I'm not a woman. I'm a pastor crashing the party. But I'm just saying, the women set the tone for Christmas on Friday night by inviting people. Cornerstone. Christmas is the time when someone who may have said no to you before might say yes if you say, come to church with me. Come to church. All month we're talking about Christmas. And then on Christmas Eve, we're really celebrating. Would you join me? Uh, And then when they come, I promise you, we're going to deliver a simple message out of the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, that Jesus is the light of the world. He came on a mission to reclaim his own earth that he had created. And we are the epitome of his creation. We are his pride and joy. And no matter how you feel that you might have disappointed God in the past, no matter how you feel like you disappointed yourself, God is still your loving father and he's still drawing you back. Some of us feel far from God today. And I just want to encourage you, this month, just just stand still. You don't have to rush towards Jesus. Just stand still and let, let the Holy Spirit draw you into himself and restore that relationship between you and him. Let me pray for you now. Father, I'm so um, looking forward to this month with our congregation. And I pray that these sermons would be meaningful. As Pastor Steve shares next weekend, as Kim Rogers shares the weekend after, and then as I close on Christmas Eve, I pray, Lord, that the beauty of this simple theology would permeate every bit of our holidays, that there won't be anything about our Christmas that isn't about you. And Lord, so many of us are at parties and gatherings where we do rub shoulders with with all different people at Christmas. And help us not to be that obnoxious, preachy Christian, but help us to be so joyful about what we're celebrating that there's a natural curiosity around uh, the people who, who, who interact with us. And they see that. Uh, and maybe they even know that we've been through some painful experiences, yet somehow we still have hope. And we still have joy. And Lord, we want to share that with them. We want to share you with them like it's a Christmas gift. So we just pray that you permeate our holidays, uh, give us the wisdom to get out into nature and uh, enjoy a winter storm for all that it is uh, and to enjoy the beauty of winter in Northern California. 
Go with us now, we pray, with your love and your mercy, filling us and surrounding us. Those of us that are subject to depression, we pray that you would encourage our hearts, not with a uh, uh, sugary cheerfulness that can go away so quickly, but with a deep level joy and satisfaction that says, there's a bottom to this pit that I'm in, and, and God is going to dig me out of this thing. I don't have to be depressed today. Spirit of God, oh counselor and friend, come alongside us and be with us in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.